All right, we are wrapping up our Revive series this morning. We've talked a lot about a lot of things over the last five weeks, and this week is the culmination of our um, series. This is where everything comes together. And so this week shows us why all of the other things that we've talked about actually matter. Yes, there are good things in there and others that are important, but this is kind of where everything comes together. And so a united family of growing disciples is a very powerful thing. And as we've talked about all along, these things are good for us as individuals, um, but they're also good for us as a church. But I think it goes even further than that, right? We are, what we are, who we are called to be and what we are called to do is not just for us so that we can focus on ourselves and turn inwardly um, and think only of ourselves, protecting ourselves from the world or insulating ourselves, but the church, the gathered family of believers, is the hope of the world, um, and we live in a time where the world needs hope. Um, whether we want to admit it or not, or not um, we were all affected by the pandemic and continue to be um, for everything that's happening. There is, um, it's affected our spiritual lives, our physical lives, our emotional and our mental health. Um, the world is full of anxiety. Um, we're suffering a mental health crisis. Um, there's unrest. There are angry people. And I'm not just talking about people that are angry and rioting and all of these other things and being violent. I think we're all a little bit angrier than we were at least 10 years ago. We seem to be angrier about things that we didn't care about 10 years ago. And so I don't think I need to keep going to explain to you that the world needs hope right now. I think we all feel that and understand that. Um, but the world is badly in need of hope. And that's why we're talking about um, a revival right, for our own spiritual lives, that we would gather together, that we'd be encouraged, and we would grow as believers, that would be shaped by the Word of God, that we'd be united in Christ and be on a mission to make disciples together. And not just for our church either, right, to make much of Jesus and the gospel is our call and it's our purpose, and that's what we're going to do, but for the world. We are saved, we are believers, not just for us, but for others, to share that message with others. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, how Jesus calls us to be the hope of the world. And so we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. And so if you want to turn there, it's page 858 on the Bible that's right in front of you. Um, you can also follow along in the Brentwood Bible app. You can go to Sunday services, and it'll take you straight to the Scripture um, there. But we're just going to read a few verses, but we're going to talk about... Um, what it looks like for us to be the hope of the world. And so we're going to read verses 13 through 16. It says this, um, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so how can we be the hope of the world? Well, we can be salt and we can be light. And we can be ambassadors sent out to share that message. So we're going to look at this just a couple of pieces at a time, and then we'll kind of understand what it means for us. So first, the call is to be salt and to be light to the world. We see this first to be salt in verses, verse 13, right? But what does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Um, and what does that kind of mean in context? And so when Jesus is talking about being the salt of the earth, 
Um, it's a little different world that they're living in than we are living in. Um, they don't have refrigerators and freezers full of meat and leftovers and all the things that we have that just didn't exist. And so um, they use salt for two things, um, for preserving and for seasoning. And so first we're going to look at um, how salt preserves and what that means for us and kind of what this metaphor helps us to understand. Um, or if you look at another way, how it stops decay or prevents decay. Because in a time without refrigeration, it was beneficial to preserve food, especially meat for longer than one day. And so they would coat it in salt um, to preserve it and to keep it from going bad. And so by using this metaphor, um, Jesus was calling believers the salt of the earth, right? And one of the things he was calling us to do was to preserve the world, to stop it from decaying, to stop it from falling apart, for, to stop it from going bad, or at the least, from being as bad as it could be, right? And so Jesus calls his disciples, his followers, essentially to positively affect the world, right? We have the opportunity through our lives and through our witness to bless others and to fight against the natural decay that sin produces in life, right? Of a broken world that has been affected by sin ever since the fall in the Garden of Eden, we've seen those ripple effects throughout history. And sometimes the effects of sin happen in a major way, right? There's a terrorist attack or um, riots or there's some big event where lots of people are impacted and we see that and we're like, oh, sin has really impacted our world and made a big difference on this day. But in addition to that, right, there's the slow decay and effects of sin on a day-to-day -day basis that are almost imperceptible, right? But over time, it adds up more and more and more and more and more. And so Jesus is calling his disciples to act as a preservative in the midst of that situation of a world that is slowly decaying, that is slowly dying, that is slowly straying further and further away from him. And so we do this Right? By conforming to God's commands, by doing some of the things we talked about earlier, by being shaped by the Word of God, by obeying His commands and teaching them to others. I was reading about this this week, and one person said it like this. We're called to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing, or non-existent. Right? A moral disinfectant. Right? It was God's plan that the most powerful force for good in the world would be the church and his people. Right? We would be, a, in a sinful society, we would be his redeemed, regenerate, righteous people who battle against the effects of sin. We are the ones who can stand on the truths of Scripture and fight for right and wrong. And so what does this look like? What does it mean to be salt of the earth? How do we do that in our regular lives? Well, I don't think it means that we need to go out and we need to topple structures and systems and kind of start over from the beginning. I don't think that's what he's calling us to. Um, I think we do this by living out what God has asked us to do, by living out his commands, um, especially in loving others well. Right? I think if we love people well in the society that we live in right now, regardless of what we think about them or who they voted for or their orientation or identity or whatever it is, if we love people well, people will notice. They will say, there's something different going on there. And so that's how I think we do this. Even if with people we disagree with, even with people that make us crazy, um, we still love them and care about them and we pray for them and we seek their good. 
right? And the, it, also, it preserves, but it also seasons, right? This is mainly what we use salt for. We're not really preserving anything with it. We just say, this needs more salt, right? Because it doesn't taste good. So you put some salt in there um, to make it happen. And so um, this is um, adding just some, some kingdom seasoning to the world around us. Um, and so the way, the way I thought about this is um, as we go throughout life, we kind of sprinkle salt as we go, like a, a little taste of the gospel right here in, at work, right? The way you treat your coworkers or the way you do your work or the way you respond to your boss or to other employees, even the way we go to the doctor or we wait in the waiting room or we go out to eat or we go to the grocery store or we deal with our families, right? We leave a little gospel seasoning in each of those things of the love of Christ and the love of the gospel and the hope of the gospel in those things, Right? That doesn't have to be a major thing where you're always sharing the gospel or inviting people to church, but it's just like caring for someone, praying for somebody, serving somebody, just a, a little taste, a little season, a little glimpse of the gospel and what it would look like to be a gospel-formed society. That's how we add seasoning to the world. But then he talks about right, losing your saltiness, right, which is a little bit of a warning and just to explain what's happening here, um, salt doesn't stop being salt. It's one of the most, um, what's, I can't find the word. It's not easily dissolved. It changes from salt. It's not, the scientific word has left my brain. But you can't change salt into something else. It's very hard to do. But what happened in this world, they don't have purified salt like we have, right? They're not necessarily getting it from the ocean. They're getting it from other places um, like marshes and other things. And so essentially you have salt mixed in with all of this other stuff. And so what he's saying is you can get to a point where it looks like salt, but it doesn't act like salt because all the salt has washed out and all you have left are the impurities, right? It still looks like white powder, but it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work because all the salt has gone out and all the other things are left, and so the same is true for us, right? We can't just look like salt. We have to actually be salt, right? We have to retain our saltiness, to retain our Christ-likeness. We can lose it when we're influenced by the world and when we look and act just like everybody else, right? When we are contaminated and overcome by impurities, Right, by the thoughts, by the ideas, by the frustrations, by the points of contention that we see in the world. And they're exactly the same in our lives as with those who aren't believers. Right? When this happens, when we look and act and respond just like everybody else, we've lost our saltiness. Right? We lost our influence in the world. Um, there's a, a preacher, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he, he explained it like this, and um, these guys always explain things way better than I do, so I'm just going to let him do it. He says, The glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. And it is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. Otherwise, if we Christians are indistinguishable from non-Christians, we are useless. We might as well be discarded like saltless salt, thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. Our value is in being salt, in being different, in being shaped and formed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And that changes the way we respond to everything in our lives. And if we don't have that, like Jesus says, like Martin Lloyd-Jones just says, we're useless. We've lost our power. We've lost our influence in the world. And so we are called to be salt in the world. We are also called to be light. Right In verses 14 and 16, you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but on a lampstand. It gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Right, so how can we be the light of the world? So salt kind of has a, a negative function of delaying decay, and it kind of warns people. Um, light is positive. It, it, it's, a, it's a beacon of light, a beacon of hope in a sin-darkened world. And so I think there's three things that light does that can help us understand what we do. One is light exposes falsehoods, right? When you're in the dark and you're looking around, sometimes things seem very scary or very different than what you're used to. And then when you turn on the light, you're like, oh, it's just a lamp or it's just a coat or it's just this. And it's, it reveals the truth. Right? And so for us, the, the gospel, the light in us, reveals the truth about who we are as humans, right? that we are sinners in need of grace, that we are broken, that we need salvation. It teaches us the truth about God, that he sent his son to die on the cross for us, to reconcile us, so that we could have faith, so that we could have salvation, so that we could be whole. Right? It tells us the truth about Jesus and salvation and how we can be reconciled. The other thing I think it does is it illuminates the way, right? When you're walking in the dark, flash, nothing's better than a flashlight. Um, it's convenient now with smartphones that you're never without a flashlight, right? It's changed our lives pretty much, right? So this is how, when we illuminate the way, right, we show people how you can be sure that you can go to heaven, right? That you can be with God for all eternity. This illuminates the way to do that, right? This is how we battle, anxiety and fear and struggle and drifting with no purpose or understanding your identity, right? The Bible and Scripture illuminates the way to be able to walk through all of those things. But it also warns of dangers, right? This is why we have lighthouses and all those things old school so that you can see before you ran into something, right? That's why you have headlights on your car to keep you from danger so people can see you and so you don't run into something. And so the scriptures do the same thing. They warn us from danger. And we are also called to that, to save people from danger, to say, hey, the way you're going is not going to end well. All right, let me shine some light on it. Let me show you the truth. Let me show you that this is dangerous. So we are called to be the light of the world. And what that means basically is we just live out who we are. As a believer in Christ, you already have all of those things. Right? We are image bearers who are made new through faith in Jesus Christ and his death. I think it's also important to understand it doesn't necessarily make us a source of light. Right? And just walk with me here. You might can argue that with me later. That's fine. I'll, we can do that. But for this, I, I want us to understand that we're not necessarily a source of light when we become a believer in Christ. What we are is something that reflects the light of Christ to others, right? He shines on us, and we reflect that light to other people. It's like the moon. The moon by itself doesn't have any light. When the sun hits it, it reflects it, and that's how we can see it. It's similar for us. We reflect 
Christ-likeness. We reflect his love. We reflect his mercy. We reflect his grace. And that's what people see in us, right? What God is doing in us. And the trouble for us is, just like it says in these verses, sometimes we hide our light, right? We hide it. We keep to ourselves, or we don't share lovingly with others when we have opportunities, or we become complacent, or we spend all of our time and energy only with believers, and we don't ever impact those around us who are in need of this message. And so the challenge is not to live like you have no light, but to live like you have light, right? The world needs to understand the truth about God and salvation. And we are the ones who are called to share that message. So essentially, we are failing the world. We are called to serve if we don't share what we have. Right? It's our responsibility as Christians to share this message, to shine the light that God has given us in the places that he has put us. So wherever he has placed you right now, that's where he wants you to shine his light. Even if you don't like where he's put you right now. Right? Even if you're not sure that's where you're supposed to be, he has placed you there anyway. Right? And so we shine our lights in those places no matter where we are. But I want us to look at the very end in that verse to see what, what, what's the goal of all of this, right? Is the goal of all of this for us to have a building that's full? Is the goal of all of this for people to say, oh, look at Ben, he's a great Christian. Look at all these things he's doing and how many people have come to faith with, and how many people he's sharing the gospel with. No, what does it say the goal is? The goal is God's glory, right? That they will see your good deeds and give glory to God. God. Now, this is going to be a weird thing for a pastor to say, but it doesn't say they will see your good deeds and they will come to church. It doesn't say they will see your good deeds and tell you how great a Christian you are. No, it says they will see your good deeds and they will give glory to God because they will understand through what you are doing the truth of salvation, the truth of what Jesus has come to do for them, the love and the sacrifice and the grace and the mercy. And I think if we do those things, all of those other things will follow along, right? They will want to come to church because this is where we worship God and we hear from him and we see the scriptures, right? But the goal is not that we are made much of. It is so that God gives the glory. So we are called to be salt and light to the world. But we are also called to be ambassadors. Right? Because this talks about us having a city on a hill that everybody can look to and see. And I think that's a good example. I'm obviously not going to argue with Jesus and the examples he used. Um, not a wise thing to try to do. Um, but I want us to think about it a different way. I want us to think of our church as an embassy. Right? And what is an embassy, right? If you go to certain places in D.C. or in other nations, you'll see a row of embassies, and there's one after another, right? All flying a different flag. And so an embassy is essentially the presence of a foreign land in another land promoting good and interaction with that country, right? It's an officially sanctioned outpost of one nation inside the borders of another nation, And so if you were to visit an embassy for another country, once you cross in and you go inside the building, you would experience the language, 
and the culture and the way of life of that country inside the embassy, even though it's really far away from where that country is. You're technically, right, standing on the soil of that nation when you go to the embassy. Movies like to have a lot of fun with this one, right? When you're in a foreign country and you're running away from somebody and you're just like, if I get to the American embassy, I'll be safe. And then you cross over the gate and everybody has to stop, right? Because you're technically in the United States now, right? So you can be safe. So the church is an embassy of heaven, right? We are people of a foreign nation living in another nation, right? With the language of hope and the language of faith, you'll hear the words of our king being spoken and declared and talked about. You'll experience the culture of heaven, so we are embassies, and just a quick side note, because I think this concept is helpful for us. Um, one is, I was reading about this. this. This was a new concept to me just a couple of years ago, and I kept seeing it, and I thought I would share it. But when I reread it this week, he, he called the, the church as an embassy. Basically, it's a time machine, right? Which is, which is what he, here's what he means, is the church and how it should operate is a glimpse of the future, Right? This, is just, this should represent, this should show us what it will look like in heaven. Right? If you, so we should say, if you want to know what heaven is going to look like in the future, we've got a time machine right here. You can come to our church and see what it's going to look like. You can see how people are going to talk. You can see how people are going to love each other. You can see how different people can come together who are united in the same thing. You can see how we'll sing songs to our creator being thankful for him. We can see how we can continue to learn and understand how much he loves us and how much he has done for us. So our our church is a time machine, right? But the other side is, just like nations, right, have citizenship and confirmation of citizenship, our embassy as the church is the same, right? We have citizenship, and I'm going to argue we also have passports, right, that confirm that. And so for the church... um, Right? If you're a citizen of a nation, the easiest way to be a citizen is to be born there. Right? It's just, well, at least for here, I don't know the laws for everybody else, so maybe I shouldn't speak that much. But if you're born in the United States, essentially you are a citizen. That's the easiest way to do it. There are other ways. Right? But it doesn't work that way for being a citizen of the kingdom. You can't just be born into a family that goes to church or into a family of believers. There's still something you have to do. So the entrance to become a citizen of the kingdom is salvation is understanding that you are a sinner to put your trust and faith in Christ, that he has died on the cross for your sins, to reconcile you and to make you whole and to make you right with him and to give your life over to him. That's how you become a citizen. And then in the church, we have these things called baptism and the Lord's Supper. And those things are your passport. Right? It's your proof that you are a citizen. It's your confirmation that you are a citizen. And just like a passport, a passport doesn't make you a citizen. Right? You have to already be a citizen to get a passport. Baptism and the Lord's Supper don't make you a citizen of the kingdom. They don't save you. They confirm. They are signs that you are already a citizen. 
right? It identifies you as those. So the church as an embassy, I think, is a concept that may be helpful for us to think and to even maybe explain to others what we're trying to do. And so churches are embassies, and each embassy sends an ambassador to represent their nation to the foreign land, to work together, to promote goodwill, to see how you can work together and make things better. And so if we are part of the embassy, right, if you have your passport, right, if you're baptized, if you participate in the Lord's Supper, right, you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God to the other nations. And so every member is a citizen and an ambassador of Christ's kingdom and his holy nation. We represent the kingdom of heaven to those around us. We act with the culture of the kingdom. We speak with the language of the kingdom. And we seek to spread the goodwill and the benefits of the kingdom with those around it. This is partly why in Jesus' prayer we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? We want heaven to come here to live among us, to live in us so that we can influence the world around us. People may know what it looks like. And as ambassadors, we are called to spread the message of the good news, to spread the message of the gospel to others. Right? This is what we historically call evangelism, right? Sharing the truth of the gospel with other people. And we see this specifically in Jesus' final prayer before his death in John chapter 17. Um, if you have extra time today, reading John chapter 17 is always beneficial. Of re- just reading Jesus' prayer and how he prays and what he prays for us. But we're going to look at verses 16 through 23. Um, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. But he says, in his prayer, he says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so they also may be sanctified by the truth. I pray not only for these, right, meaning the ones who are right there with him, but also for those who believe in me through their word, which would be us. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me, so they will be made completely one, and that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus was sent to us for our salvation, to live among us, to love us, to interact with us, so that we could experience God through Jesus, so that we could understand who he really was, how much God loved us in his grace and his mercy through Christ. And he's sending us to do the same, right? As he sent me, I'm sending you, right? To live among those in need of grace and salvation, to love them, to interact with them, to experience God through us. 
and he prays for us to be united, right? Which again gives us the same goal we got just a minute ago. Because our unity will convince people that Jesus was the Son of God. Right? When people come in and they look at this, even this small group of people that we have in here this morning, we are all very different. We all grew up in very different places. We have different ways that we see the world. We have different ways that we think politically. We have different ideas on parenting and all of these other things. How to be grandparents is probably different. Right? But when they come together and they see a group that is so different, but they are united and they're caring and they're loving and they have the same mission, what it does is it doesn't make much of us, right? It makes much of Jesus and what he is doing through us and in us. And so that's our goal is to be united and to be together and to share this message of the gospel. We are going to be ambassadors to the world around us. And so we are going to start something new today, actually, um, a practical outworking of our call to be ambassadors of the gospel. Um, we were actually planning, I was planning to launch this in um, March of 2020. Um, and so that was obviously put on hold because in March of 2020, we all went into our houses um, for a very long time. And so we felt like that wasn't a good time to try to send you out to knock on other people's doors or to do things with other people when we were all being quarantined. And so um, the, the thing that we're starting this morning, it's called Who's Your One? Um, and it's actually sent to us from the North American Mission Board, which is an arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, which provides resources for churches to reach out and to be missionaries around us. And so the goal of this is to make evangelism simple to make outreach simple, to make being an ambassador simple. Because, I don't know, even, even for me, it's like, well, I know all these people. Who should I share with? Who should I talk to? Who should I pray for? Or maybe you don't have anybody like that, right? So it seems overwhelming or seems too difficult. And so this is going to help focus us and give us some direction in this. And so what we're going to say is, um, in the back, there's a couple of things. Some of you may have got one. Um, there's a book that looks like this. Um, this is a 30-day prayer guide, and so you can start this today. Um, I'm going to start mine on November 1st. Um, so if you all want to start on November 1st with us, so this will be in the back. Um, we're also going to put this guide as available electronically, and so we're going to put it in our app. Um, so you can go there and get to it, so you can read it and follow it. Um, in addition to that, um, there's a bookmark with the reading plan on it. Um, but the, 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 the beauty of this bookmark is, is two things. One is, there's this little tab that tears off at the top. And so the purpose of this is for you to write the name of the person that you are praying for, that you are reaching out to, the person far from God who needs salvation, you're going to put your, their name on this, and then you're going to drop it in the giving box in the back. You don't have to do that this week. If you need a week to think about it, um, that's fine. But I want, you to, I want you to actually do this, right? And write it and drop it in the back. And what we're going to do is we're going to make a list of these names, and we're going to send it out to you guys so we can be praying for each other's person. And so if you're wondering... Who do I choose? Or what do I do with them? Or how do I make this work? We also have a sheet that looks a lot like this in the back that answers all of those questions. But I'm going to go through them, a couple of them with you, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. 
right? So first is just to understand who that person is for you, right? Who is the person that God wants me to reach out to, who wants me to pray for, who wants me to interact with? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker or somebody at the store. Like if you go to the same store every time and you see the same checkout person every time, maybe it's that person. Or you go to the same restaurant and you have the same waiter. Maybe it's that person. Maybe it's somebody you go to school with. Maybe it's somebody you talk with online, right? Any of those are things. And so once you've identified this person, do you just go up to them and say, hey, I put your name on this card, so now we got to do stuff together? No, that's, I mean, you can try that if you want, but it's probably not going to work. They may not talk to you after that. Um, But there are things you can do, right? Going out for a cup of coffee or going out for food. Um, Writing them a note of encouragement, just saying, hey, how can I pray for you today? I was thinking about you. Can I pray for you? Um, Giving them a gift card or a note and explaining that or um, send out a note, not just to them, but to other people saying, hey, I'm willing to help. I'm here. I have some free time. If anybody needs any help or errands or uh, stuff around the house, let me know. I'd be glad to help you. Um, We actually have a partner thing that is very similar to this that we call BLESS. Um, which we kind of throw out every once in a while, but um, it stands for begin with prayer, which means you pray for that person. Um, The L is to listen to them, right? Just listen to where they're at, to what's going on in their lives. Have a conversation with them and not actually try to tell them anything. Just listen and understand where they're at and where their struggles. Um, The E is for eat. Um, This is, I think, the easiest one for everybody is just go eat a meal with somebody, right? You don't even have to cook. Right? People under, right now, of all the times, people understand not having people in your house. Right? So going out to eat is totally acceptable. Um, the S is for serve, which is similar to what we just looked. Just find a way to serve them, to love them, to show that you care about them. And then the last S is actually to share your story. Right? To understand what God has done in your life and how he has changed you and then eventually share that. So if you're wondering, hey, when I meet with them, what do I say? How do I start the conversation? What kind of things can I do? This whole bottom half is just a list of questions that you can ask. And some of them are more open-ended than others. Some of them are more gospel-centered than others. But all of them are just designed to just have a conversation with somebody and listen to them. So if you didn't get one of these, um, they're in the back. If you need more or you want to take one for a friend, that's fine. These are free. I got enough, more than enough for us, but we can order more. That would make your pastor very happy if we had so many people that wanted to do this that we had to order more of them, right? And so that's what, that's our focus. That's how we're going to finish today is, um, yes, we're called to revival, but that's to make much of the scriptures, to make much of Jesus, to love others, to take our sin seriously and battle against it, and to be ambassadors to the world around us who is in need of hope. Right? And for now, this is a tool that we are going to use, and we've got things coming in the future. So when we have an event, or if we have a Christmas event, or a Christmas Eve service, or whatever we have, and we say, you should invite somebody, you shouldn't have to think about who you should invite because you've already written your, their name on this card. So that's the person that you will invite to future things. So hopefully we're going to build on this as we go. But I think even for me, it will just help focus. Like, there's just one person I need to pray for and interact with. And whatever happens, happens, right? We understand that we don't save people. God saves people. 
but we can create opportunities and love them and show who Christ is through how we live. And so this is how we're going to do that. So I encourage you to take one of those in the back. If you already know the person, write them down and drop it in the box today. Because um, I know people forget and you may not bring it back next week. I find that. But I'm encouraging you and asking you to do that so that we can be praying for you and praying for our people um, that we are reaching out to together and we can see what God is doing in their lives. Um, so let's pray this morning. Um, God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. Um, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you how you've changed us and molded us and shaped us to reflect your glory. We pray that as we look at our day and we look at our lives and we look at how we live, we look at how we respond to things, and, and a, a challenging question for us is to ask, do we, I look like everyone else around me when that happens? When I get cut off in traffic, do I respond just like everybody else? When I have to wait longer in line, do I respond like everybody else? When things don't go the way that I plan, do I respond like everybody else? Or is there a different response, a patience, a love, a compassion that shines through that, that reflects your glory. And God, I also know that the only way we can do those things is through you and your strength in us. So God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage and the boldness and the patience to do what you are calling us to do. God, I pray that also for each of us that you would clearly bring to mind the name of the person who I believe you are already working in their lives so that we can seek them, we can pray for them, we can love them, we can serve them, we can reach out to them, and that we may see them, see your glory, see your salvation, and respond to you so that when they come here and they see us, they, they will see a time machine of what it's going to look like to be in heaven, that we will sing and we will praise you because you are God Almighty creator of heaven and earth. God, so help us to seek you and to be ambassadors to the nations. It's in your name we pray. Amen.